You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Okay, I want to ask you a couple of questions, and uh, whether you're honest or not, it's not really important because God already knows the answer to these questions. Here's question number one. Have you ever cropped a photo of yourself to remove something in the picture that you didn't want to show or simply wanted to improve the picture? (laughs) Well, honesty. All right. Have you ever searched through photos to select the one that was most flattering to you? Man, we got some that are not fessing up at all. We got a few that are. Have you ever hoped to avoid having your picture made simply by the way you looked that day? All right. Well, before I say any more, I want us to go to uh, Mark chapter 3. Those questions didn't have anything to do with the sermon. I just wanted to see if you would be honest. No, they, they, they really do. This is the story of the man with, with the withered hand. I'll begin reading with verse 1, Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil? to save life or to kill, but they held their peace. And when he had looked around about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, stretch forth your hand, and he stretched it out. And I want to stop right there for just a second. Let me ask you this question. Relates to the other ones. If you had a deformity, a withered hand, And someone that you really didn't know very well asked you to stick out your hand, which one would you stick out? The good one. You'd stick out the good one. Why? Mm, Better than the other one. Man, I can tell you, this is such a powerful point. Why would we crop the photo? Why would we look for the most flattering? Why would we want or be hesitant to have our picture made? You know, we were over on the square the other day for listening to to Cora play the fiddle. And uh, Stephen Henry comes around with that camera. And, And normally at that point, it's like, no, just turn and run. Just don't even want your picture, but... We were standing there with Mike Box, and certainly, as, as you would expect, it shows up in the paper, and you look pretty quickly to see it was as bad as I thought it might be. Very strangely, I don't know how this happened, because we were standing there in full color, and the picture in the paper was in black and white. What happened? What happened to all that color in our life? He stretched it out last part of that last verse, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Let me ask, 
today in our in the day of, of technology and this process of external externally editing our life, you know, because I don't know many people, including most of us here, that don't live edited lives. We're careful what we say to each other. We're careful what other people know about us. We're careful the questions that we create about ourselves. We live highly, highly edited lives. If you were trying to find a photo to go on Facebook, which hand of this man's would he show? He would show the good one. He would show the good one. If this man had not known anything of Jesus, just like us, and a stranger asked him, he would have kept the withered hand behind him. I listened a few days ago to uh, an interview with T.D. Jakes, and it made such a point. I didn't get but about three or four minutes into the interview and the anointing was already there, and I just stopped. Because when, when that happens, I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to hear the points they make. I don't want anything else. I, because when the anointing comes in that moment, I have to stop. Because then I can let the Holy Spirit build on that anointing. But he was answering the question, why do we live such frustrated lives? Now I realize I'm talking to you sitting here today, probably the group, that should have the least amount of frustration. And he was answering that question, and, but the Holy Spirit just kind of took me in a different direction. But I want to give you some of the highlights of what he said, and, and this is going to be him and me mingled together and mixed together because I found some of the things he said very profound. He begins by stating that we have access in our world today, we have access to more people today than ever before. I think we can recognize that to be true. We have access to more people today than ever before. All means of social media has connected us to old friends and to new ones. And we have so many more social media friends than ever before. I'm, I'm amazed at some of these numbers at people talking about how many friends they have on Facebook. However, as he states, you would believe that we are that that degree of being connected that we would think we would never be alone how many how many connections does it take for you to not be alone but i i know by personal experience by the people who pass in and out of my office that they are absolutely unquestionably alone today why are we alone if we have all these connections and we have all of this access and we have all of these opportunities to be connected, even in the vehicles we drive and where we go and the places that are now open to us and all the connections that can be made in any way we want, why are we so alone? His words were these. It creates a moment where we live, where we have to be filtered to be accepted. I want to say that again because that's worth repeating. 
all of these connections that we make electronically with pictures posted, and even in the places we go, he says it creates a moment where we have to be filtered to be accepted. I want to tell you that is so, so powerfully true. The person I'm showing you is my ideal self. Now, the one I go home to live with and look at is my real self. How many of us have the nerve to show someone else our real self? Because sitting here today, this is a fair question. And this is where the Lord began to take me. Why won't we show our real self? Especially to whom? Why won't, we sh why won't we show our real self to God? And unfortunately, because we don't, it's creating great limitations in the way that we as believers live. We are living filtered lives simply to be accepted by God. Now, we know that's not true. We know Melissa stood here last week. After, after being prayed for it, she said in that moment, she was, the Holy Spirit was telling her, I love you just the way you are. I love you. And, and many agreed with that statement. Love you just the way that you are. But very strangely, rarely will we expose the hidden things even to God. And we won't do it. We show each other the ideal self. Think about this. We show each other the ideal self. But what we crave is for someone to love the real self. What we crave is someone to love that person that we know that we are. Listen to this. These are his words. When I look at the filtered you, it causes me to think I'm missing something. You getting this? Is it, is it, is it penetrating? When you show me the best version of you, and I don't have Facebook, but I get, I, Kate and I had this conversation the other day, how strange it is to meet someone when you don't have Facebook because you've got a world of things to talk about. Didn't know you'd built a new house. Didn't know you'd moved. Didn't know you'd had another child. Didn't know I was, and, and these conversations are great face to face because everything's not exposed and discovered because what's on, what's on Facebook is the ideal self, the ideal story. And when I look at your ideal story, what does it make me wonder about mine? My real one. Highly filtered, highly edited lives that we experience that we show others and we wonder, and, I will, and I'll tell you this, the distance between your ideal life that I look at and my real one causes a great deal of frustration in this world. And how big that gap is is going to tell you how big your frustration is. You see, we think Jay mentioned this a few weeks ago. We look at homes 
well manicured, children well manicured, lives well manicured. And rarely, rarely do we know the real story behind those doors. I can tell you this is an absolute. The people that you think have it the best don't have it as good as you think. I don't care who it is. The people that you think have it best don't have it as good as you think it really is. And we live behind these doors and we live behind these walls and I would, I'm okay with that. In relationship to each other, we got to work that out. But it changes dynamically when we realize how long has it been since I was just honest with God? How long has it been since I, since I showed him the worst and I talked to him about it? It's like, Randy already knows. He already knows the worst. Yeah, but there's a reality to it. There's a moment to it when we expose that worst to someone who does love the real me. When we begin to take down these filtered, highly produced imitations of life that we project to be real. I'll give you that again. When we begin to take down these filtered, highly produced imitations and commercial views of life we project to be real, then we enter into the beauty of God's grace. And Melissa's words from last week that God loves me become true. God loves me unfiltered. God loves me unamended, unadjusted, uncorrected. God loves me that way. The miracle of Mark chapter 3 in the hand that was healed came because the man to whom Jesus was speaking held out the broken and withered before Jesus. I, want to, I just want to quickly share what the Lord has, has had on my mind for a few days. Because we live in a world where being honest with God has become quite a challenge. We're not very good at it. But we need to get better. <clears throat> Tiffany, would you come up here just a second? <clears throat> Now, in this story, in, in this illustration, I, I'm, I'm going to be Tiffany and she's going to be God, okay? God has a great deal of determination. I mean, extreme determination that there only be two people in, in, in this imaginary box that we have around us. He will only be tolerant of two people. Him and me. He will work diligently, <clears throat> tirelessly, faithfully to get you to a place where only two names <clears throat> in the box. His and yours. So that he can show you that all the peace all the healing, all the love, all the goodness, all the kindness, all the mercy, all the grace that I need standing here is completely, absolutely, perfectly found in this box. So we, we watermark this box. When I draw it in my office, I watermark this box and I stamp it enough he has to get us to a place 
where we know that he is enough. Unquestioned. Because the damage that it does to distort this box is extreme. Because if, if I'm, I'm standing here and I gain part of my strength out of my relationship with Danny, and I gain part of my hope out of my relationship with Jan, and I, and I, and I gain satisfaction out of my relationship with Mr. Hensley, and I have a job and I, and I have, and I have responsibilities and hobbies and all of these things surround the box. What happens to me personally with God being who God is, what happens to me personally when I start drawing from these other people? Now, I want to tell you, it's perfectly fine for me to draw from the God that's in here and the God that's in here and the God that's in here. He designed us that way. But what happens now? The shape of my life standing here with God is square. It's intact. And I, am, I, and I know he's enough. And I know that I'm enough. But look at the strange outline of my life. If I don't know this to be true, I exit the box and I go here and I go over here and I go here and I go back there and I go to work and I take care of my hobbies. What happens to the outline? Instead of a square, it looks like this. How many are living that life? Finding fulfillment, finding something outside of God who is enough. Well, the question is, what's causing me to step outside the box when God in every way through the salvation of his son, by the giving of the Holy Spirit, by the assurances of eternity, by the provision that he's given me, that, that he says, you know, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. There will never be anything outside of me. You can trust me. You can put your faith in me. He's, an, he's made those grand announcements and I go looking outside the box. Why? Because I love a God I don't trust. I love a God that I don't trust. Isn't that odd? Because if I trusted him, what could I do? Yeah, I stay in the box and I could, I could tell him about the ugly part of my life, but I just don't trust him. I would know the provision. I would be able to step in faith. I would be able to go. I would be able to stay. All of the things in the stuff that is hidden on my phone and the stuff that's hidden on my computer and all that kind of stuff, I wouldn't have to hesitate to bring to him so that he could heal it, restore, complete, deliver, all of those things he wants to do. I love him and I know he loves me, but it's so strange that in the Christian world we don't trust a God who we say we desperately love. Thank you, Tiffany. How odd it is Many of our expectations of him have been so reduced by practical and lifeless teaching that any today, because he does so little, we're not even disappointed. 
our expectations of God. We've been taught so poorly, marginally, so such low expectations of God. When nothing happens year by year, month by month, or even week by week, we're not even disappointed anymore because our expectations of him are so low. We know it's love. There's not much trust here because many of us, some of us have experienced things that we would call in this disappointment. We, we privately, and maybe even more than privately, almost desperately want him to be the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, don't we? I want him to, I want him to be the, I want him to be the Jesus that says to the man, your sins are forgiven, rise up and walk. I want him to be that Jesus. I want him to be that Jesus that speaks to the woman at the well and the Jesus who talks to the woman who was caught in adultery and the Jesus who saw the leper and goes and holds him and touches what no one else would touch. I still want Jesus to be that Jesus. Well, guess what? He is He's still that Jesus. He hasn't changed. He still wants to bring joy where you're broken. He wants to bring healing where, there's, where, the, where, the, where the illnesses are. He wants to bring restoration when there is not. He has not changed. He is sovereign. He sees what we're going, where we're going, and he knows how to get us there, and he has a plan to do it. So I, I don't question those things that I don't, always understanding the direction because he knows clearly where the parade's going and I'm just in the parade enjoying the ride. But I will tell you, his heart has not changed. So why won't we hold out the withered hand? There's only one reason. Because we love a God we don't trust. We love a God we don't trust. Maybe... In our highly processed lives, we don't want to hold out the withered hand in our own story, and I'm sure it's true. But do you know what happens if you keep that hand behind your back? There will be no great story to tell. There will be no great testimony to share. There will be no great victory to announce until we stand honest before God with our greatest weakness. What is it today? What is your greatest weakness? Where are you the most vulnerable? Until we stand before God with our greatest sin. Talk about that much anymore, do we? We've almost removed it. Until we stand honest before God with our greatest shame, our greatest regret, our greatest guilt, held out before us to receive the, rest the restoration and the healing that he has in store. There will be no great stories to tell. There will be no great victory. There will be no great testimonies of the power of God and what he's done until we remove the ugliest from behind us. Not to just share it with each other. There's a lot of freedom in that. But why don't we just begin by holding out the, the most ugly to the one who already knows is behind our back and trust him. 
tonight in the teaching. Tonight's teaching is powerful. Not because of me, but because of him. What I'm going to share tonight, if you haven't been coming, I'd still encourage you to come because there's something so practical in the teaching tonight that, is, that, that, we, that we really need to know. God has been exposing many things. We don't know how. We have been so, I hate to keep saying it, but we have been so marginally taught that even when God brings revelation and we, we were fully ready to hold the hand out in front of us and let him deal with it, we, are, we have been so marginally taught we don't know what he did with it and we don't know how to receive the healing that he has in store for us. We're going to cover that tonight. It's powerful and necessary. One small thing, one small difference. I'm just hoping this morning that you'll hear and be willing to recognize that whatever you're hiding, don't hide it before the Father. Think about this for just a second and I'll close with this. When a child does something when they're little that, that they know they're going to be in trouble for, why don't they just willingly and freely come running to the father and mother and say, guess what I did? Fear of what? Punishment, fear of ridicule, fear of whatever, whatever the consequence are. Fear of the consequence. What would cause us from doing something that we should not have done, hiding something we should not have hidden, why don't we, as a child of God, run and say, Father, look what I've done. Same fear, same concern. Isn't it odd? Isn't it odd? Jan said something similar. I think she, she reads quotes to me, and they're, they're wonderful. I'm going to change it a bit. Isn't it amazing that the heart he gave me Right in here. The heart he gave me, the heart that we talk about in the spirit. Isn't it amazing that the heart that he gave me that could fully accept him and love him, we've turned and used to grow skeptical of him and hesitant. He gave me this heart to fully trust him. And I've taken this heart to question him. And he's simply saying, I'm your father. You can, you can trust me. Bring the most broken. Bring the thing that shames you the most, the thing that you regretted the most. Bring it here. Put it in prayer on this altar and leave it there. Leave it there. Father, thank you this morning that we can see a man with a withered hand in us living these highly filtered lives. Filtered because we were, we're concerned that that's the only way we will be accepted. I can't put that ugly picture, I can't put that, uh, that picture that 
I don't want anybody to see that picture. We throw that picture away. We delete that one. Never want anyone to see that picture. Because that picture tells the real story. So, Father, we know there's great tension between the ideal one and the real one that we wake up with each day. So, Father, I just ask you in this moment to bring revelation and expose. Bring revelation and tell our real story. You already know it, so when you remind us of it, I pray, Father, that any of us would take that from behind our backs not to expose it to one another unless you prompt us to, but to expose it back to you. To give it back to you and receive the healing in that moment, the restoration and the deliverance in that moment. There's a, there's a lot of hidden stuff in lives every day that we just wouldn't dare that somebody would find out, but there will also be no victory over it until we bring it to you. So thank you, Father, for this opportunity this morning at this altar, to bring that which we have hidden back to you. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.